episode two of the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. We are back with our insiders. We have Lori here from Outshinery. Lori takes okay. label images. Well, Outshinery takes label <laughs> images and magically turns them into bottle shots. Nick from Wine Owners, who's revolutionizing fine wine management. Seb from Trolley, who helps wineries sell more wine to consumers. And Jonathan from Bottle Books, who helps the industry manage product data. Um, and we are back. We have some massive news in the wine tech world. First, Uber acquires alcohol delivery service Drizzly for 1.1 billion. This is called a unicorn in the startup world. A billion dollar uh, company um, kind of came uh, almost out of nowhere it seemed, but um, incredible acquisition and very interesting. Why don't we start with Lori? Lori, what did you think about when you first heard this news? When I first heard it, it was like, oh, of course, no brainer. And also, oh, like two mammoths like meet each other, you know, it's just becoming like one big, even like more giant thing. Um, it seems to me like a no brainer and at the same time, um, I'm interested to see how it's gonna, they keep saying that they're gonna keep Drizzly separate. Like it's just, I'm just very curious to see how it's gonna be received even by the consumer. Um, I'm no doubt that Uber Eats people, uh, users, consumers, sorry, will enjoy having more alcohol options uh, in you know, their app. Uh, but I'm wondering if like Drizzly, Drizzly fans um, will have a problem with that. Full disclosure, I'm located in Canada. We do not have Drizzly here. Um, so I haven't been myself a user, uh, but I know a lot of friends in the U.S. I use it uh, a lot, especially since COVID. And Seb, where do you think the value was here? Why, why did they pay a billion? Uh, look, it's fascinating uh, for, for a reason where uh, when there's value being created, right, ultimately Drizzly was able to get a brand up, get an enormous number of traffic up, starting to actually get the, the, the sales wheel going. Uh, and Uber, we all know that Uber's got a pretty deep pocket and some pretty steep amount of cash reserves. Uh, and it's actually fascinating to see that Uber decided not to build it themselves, right? Mm -hmm. But to effectively acquire an existing market and merge it in. Um, so from a value standpoint, ultimately, we're clearly seeing how Uber, the message they're sending out is, look, anything to do with deliveries is not about to stop. And no, it's not just people being delivered from point A to point B. No, it's not just food being delivered from point A to point, a to point B. Uh, but alcohol is going to be part of it. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Uber uh, doing more of a um, Instacart style. We can deliver anything for any shop uh, in the future. Um, but yeah, ultimately, story. it's fascinating. Hey, go for it. Uh, yeah, I have even a story for that. I had a friend uh, that just did like an Uber donation delivery. So she literally she put a donation to Salvation Army in the Uber without her and got delivered to Salvation Army like in an Uber. Does they deliver anything? <laughs> Correct. And then that's the whole idea. I think post pandemic, I think we're underestimating how much deliveries are going to be a thing, right? Increasingly, we're looking at studies, we're looking at uh, impacts from uh, a consum on a consumption habit perspective. Uh, and you're seeing that even though there is going to be a return to normal, 
uh, now that people have experienced what it means to work from home, to have anything delivered at home, uh, there's definitely going to be a, a shift for for the online e-commerce, digital, let's get everything delivered to us kind of a thing. Yeah. Now, Nick, this and is it's... primarily, Drizzly is primarily a U.S. service, and they, they've done an incredible job, I guess, navigating the different state rules, um, which are very complicated in the U.S. Is this something you could see that they could roll out globally with Uber? Is this something that- Yeah, I don't know. Doing? I mean, I think um, I totally agree that, that, you know, the growth obviously and the scale that they've achieved and, you know, I guess um, like other technology um, successes that we're going to talk about, um, you know, that the, the, the ability to scale and create a network effect um, is, is clearly huge. Um, I think what is interesting in terms of the US is that consumers will engage with something that delivers convenience, that provides them a perception that they're able to buy no matter what wine they want, yeah, ease, source, uh, easily, source it easily and, and get it delivered to them. Um, even if Drizzly's probably a relatively speaking low tech solution, they've provided a great experience and they've demonstrated huge growth over the last year. And Uber obviously thinks that they can take the growth that they've achieved and significantly scale it up again as a result of the network effect that Uber will bring to them. Jonathan, should, should you have started a delivery service or what do you think about this news? <laughs> No, I, mean, I think I think it's quite exciting. The uh, I mean, at least in uh, in Germany, there have been these late uh, evening alcohol uh, delivery services. So when you run out of beer, you just get on the phone and uh, a, a few new crates of beer get delivered to you in a uh, in a short period of time. So to some extent, it's you know it's it's maybe it's like you were saying, Nick. It's not only low tech; it's also not really new. What's what's new is is the is the user experience um, perhaps and and being in a market where you haven't been able to do this before so I think that that novelty in a, in a market where you know where the regulations have been so complex it's it is really a novel a novel thing and it's it's potential that uh, yeah that was untapped for sure and the other big news that uh, we had was that Vivino raised 150 million um, for their Series D round. Um, just so people know, sometimes in the startup world, you start with angel investing, which is for friends and family. Then you go A, B, C, D. This is their biggest amount they, they've raised so far. They've raised a whole a total of 221 million. So they kind of have a bit of a, a war chest now. Um, they're, they've said they're going to go and expand the Cortec personalized recommendation engine um, while also expanding globally even more. I don't know. What do we think about this news? This, this was kind of buried under the drizzly, but um, could be just as important. What do you think, Seb? Look, I think overall, um, just to put things into context, uh, it's it's a really good thing for the the tech ecosystem uh, in the world of wine, 
there has been some tremendous challenges uh, organizing funding, organizing money from a wine-centric technology perspective, uh, simply because there's been a number of, of examples in the dot-com era in the 2000s, massive failures and, and massive amount of money being, being invested. Um, one of the challenges that Vivino is going to be facing is really that uh, that fragmentation of the market, right? The number of wine producers on the planet uh, is disproportionate. Uh, there, there's a lot of small producers trying to get their wines out. Uh, and I think Vivino is going to do a lot of work trying to reach out, trying to work with these producers because they do make most of the wine uh, produced on the planet. Um, but overall, I think, as I was saying, in order to raise the awareness that the global world of wine is broken, uh, I think that's great news. That's absolutely great news. The more, the more we can get that on, on the news channel, the more people can realize that wine movements on the planet are not functioning well. Uh, there's, there's a need for technology. There's a need for better user experience. Uh, and, uh, and that's, to me, just for that perspective, it's a great news. It's a great news. Good for them. Good for them. Nick, is this going to influence what you're doing? Do you see this? Uh, what did you think about this news? Well, I think this is great um, in the sense that, you know, it is, it is the, the world of wine you know, digitizing and um, becoming much more efficient, um, delivering a much more immersive customer experience. I think the, um, you know, the the stated investment in essentially recommendation a recommendation engine is it makes sense when you fuse that with all of the content that they have created successfully to create this brilliant customer experience and they have created a, um, a a network comprised of importers distributors who are looking for efficient sales channels and the consumer who's looking to buy wine are uh, you know, um, on, on an informed on an informed basis you know when I speak to importers who are using, Vivino, they love them because you know they can ship a few pallets over to their warehouse and they get sold pretty quickly. So, so they have reached a, a a critical mass. They have got scale. I think um, what is going to be really interesting over the next few years is the emergence of other um, marketplaces and platforms. There are bounds to be several more in this market because we're coming from such a low kind of backward starting point um so so you know i'm excited because as a as a platform provider that um uh, provides tech for wine businesses to 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 run their operations and to um and to build their own ecosystems in respect of channels of supply and, um, and routes to market, the more options there are, the more sales platforms and marketplaces there are that reduce the amount of friction that we've traditionally seen in the market and connect stockholders up with really efficient sales engines um, the better the better it is for the um, for the sector. 
Lori, what is it that Vivino, what's the magic in Vivino? What, why have they been successful? It's a big question you're asking me. Um, why has it been successful? Um, I, I mean, I can't, you know, I'm not like behind like with the Vivino team um, like every day or anything like that. I think what's been successful is it come with a slightly outsider perspective from the US market. So Vivino was originally, um, you know, from Denmark, Europe. Even that round of money, which I found was interesting, was a lot backed uh, by European uh, funds. So it's not, it's like they have obviously like a big office uh, in San Francisco and everything, but it's, uh, again, as a French person myself, maybe that's why I particularly resonate, but it feels like they have a, a foot into both worlds. And that's also something that I admire about Vivino, it has a global rich, like, like for real, like they are like in pretty much like every country that sells alcohol different like levels of like marketplaces um i think they just they had the chance to be positioned at the right time at the right moment uh, you know like at the beginning and they started really building trust uh into um what is wine and educating people without being uh, adamant like you need to drink this wine with this you know lab or something like that and they're just kind of like gradually build this like confidence with the public and then when they introduce like hey you can buy wine with it you know now and just do have all these reviews and critics like it felt like just like a natural um evolution that uh at no like they didn't have it to the best of my knowledge like any big like mistake or crazy thing that just kind of like um built distrust a little bit it reminds me I don't know if it's the right analogy, but a bit like Netflix, you know, like they started with content that they didn't own and they just, and I feel like, yeah, get my credit card, charge me like, you know, $10 every month, I believe it. And then now they're generating their own content. That you, and it's just like, there's like this kind of relationship. Like it's one of those companies that I kind of like, I'm involved with. I know that like, you know, like like far away, and it, but it's just like, there's something because of relationship, I think it's just really interesting and distrust. Um, that I think Vivino has been, putting it out. And it's not mm. that easy, I think, in the world of wine. Um, when it comes to marketplaces, it can become very uh, informal or clinical. Been, um, I think it's worth mentioning that there's been within the industry a, a certain amount of uh, internal chatter uh, on the value of the Robert Parkers, the the James Halliday, the the, the sucklings of the world, uh, which bring they normally they've actually created a unified scale for the consumer to kind of compare wines, which is really good. But they've also pushed that to a point where, as a marketing engine, they ended up more or less controlling some of the the production and the supply of wine. Now, Vivino all of the rating engine on Vivino is basically based on you and I. It's mm -hmm. really average people just drinking the wine and kind of go, look, I don't know much about wine, but I'd, I'd buy it again. It's five star. Yeah, I like it. Uh, and that is, is to a certain extent, quite a bit of value. Um, and look, the whole idea that most consumers don't really understand wine. Most consumers don't really fundamentally recognize the, the, the beauty of the product. And so it's really good to breaking down that barrier for people to just take a photo, scan a bottle and see what other people are thinking in a more objective kind of a fashion, as opposed to 99 points, 79 points, 97 points kind of approach. Jonathan, if you could be either Drizzly or Vivino, who would you be? Who do you think is the, who do you think is like, did, did Drizzly figure it out or did Vivino figure it out? Who's, who's in a better position here 
could could Drizzly build Vivino? Could Vivino take over what Drizzly's doing? Yeah, you know, it is it is interesting to to contemplate if if um, Drizzly now could become a player at the level of Vivino uh, globally, being that Uber is a is is already global. Um, I think there's probably quite a bit more experience and tech behind the scenes in Vivino. I mean, Vivino is, to some extent, it's, it's a really, really simple concept. Track wines, get some ratings, buy some wines. It's like there, there's, the concept is just really, really simple. Now, behind the scenes, of course, it's infinitely more complex, especially persuading a very fragmented industry to go along with you and to to consolidate around a single platform um but uh, sometimes it's not always the the first one who does it who captures the the market either it can also be they laid the groundwork and then uber and drizzly come come along and mop it up um after all the hard work was done um uh, that said they now have both have some very interesting war chests um to to uh and it'll be interesting to see where that, where that, how that develops. So, like, like for me, what what I'm personally will be watching closely is the purchasing behavior on both platforms because I really anticipate to be quite different. Actually, like, um, I'm oversimplifying, but like Drizzly is, especially with the idea of Uber, is like really like the convenience. It's one or two bottles. Like, I know not everybody purchases the same way, but it's just like something like you know, like this kind of purchase of wine, much more spontaneous, it feels like to me, uh, versus um, Vivino could be, you take the time a bit more to browse, it's going to take more time to reach your door, it's usually in bigger quantity, like, so I can even see a world where, sure, it's a war between them, but I think they're also very complementary, just in the perception of the consumer, the purchasing would be very different. In my I, think head. I think they're different drivers as well. Yeah. As you know, I think um, Vivino has certainly been quoted um, talking about needing to get to an average bottle value of about 25 bucks in order to start making money and really struggling to get over that kind of 15 buck threshold. Whereas if I'm Drizzly, I don't really care what it is that I'm sticking in the cab. I'm just a delivery service and I'm taking a margin on the delivery. Oh, yeah, it's a fascinating topic. I, I also think that from a Vivino standpoint, uh, they've raised that money on the back of uh, an AI that they want to build. So they're basically saying we're going to start helping consumers figure out what they want to drink next, uh, based on previous reviews, based on data they've aggregated. Uh, and while that's an absolutely admirable um, ambition, I also think that the world of wine, there's been a number of attempts at trying to predict what's going to be the next bottle that someone's going to want to drink. And granted the subjectivity of the product, right? Here's a Pinot for 25 bucks. Here's another Pinot for 25 bucks. They both come from California. Which one do you want? Uh, is really, really, really difficult. So look, I'm, 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 uh, I'm wishing them a, a lot of good luck and a lot of good work to try and, and crack that one if they do. Well, Jonathan, Seb, Nick, and Laurie, thank you, Insiders, um, for episode two of the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. Um, you can find us on YouTube um, and iTunes and maybe some other services in the future as we roll all of this out. And of course, um, of course, it's sub subscriber only, super exclusive kind of content, right?
Yes, very exclusive. <laughs> You're very lucky to have listened to this and gone to the end. Thank you again. Well done, well um, done. Guys, always nice to chat. <laughs> nice one. Cheers. Thank you. Bye, everyone.